0: Hey, Steve Thompson sitting down with you today to hear from God's dream given to Daniel. Lord, what do you have for us today? We're listening. Would you please speak? Okay, this is Daniel chapter 8 verse 15 through the end of the chapter. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man stood in front of me and I heard a human voice calling out from the Ulai River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. While he was speaking, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground, but Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Then he said, I am here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek Empire. The four prominent horns that replaced the one large horn show that the Greek Empire will break into four kingdoms but none as great as the first. At the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human power. This vision is about the 2300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time, so keep this vision a secret. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision. And could not understand it. Hmm, okay. This is where devotional reading gets a little sticky, right? I mean, you wake up first thing in the morning, you pour yourself some hot coffee and sit down in your favorite chair. You open up the Bible or your Bible app to the next passage in Daniel, and you're like, Lord, what are you saying to me this morning? Could you actually send Gabriel to come and explain this stuff to me and also what it has to do with my life right now? Uh I can't help but make a few observations based on my reading and studying that you might find helpful or you might not. But I find it interesting that Daniel didn't ask why. He asked how long. Now that's interesting to me because I think the why question brings God's character into question. I mean, he's big enough for us to ask it for sure. But it can be telling that our experience of him or our trust in him is probably deficient when we ask why. It can even be accusatory, like, I don't trust your motives here. Why are you doing this or not doing this? Daniel didn't struggle with trusting the Lord, but he was curious about how long God would be able to stand by and allow the suffering of his people and the arrogant, bloodthirsty, power-hungry, greedy rebellion of those in power. Another intriguing detail is in the answer that was given to him then, 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, that would be a picture of how many times the sacrifice would be missed in the temple. So you think of the Hebrew 24-hour day uh, starting with sundown, but the focus is placed on the sacrifice of worship done each evening and morning, 2,300 occasions of worship, we're going to go uncelebrated. A vital relational tie between God's people and God would be severed. Years would go by feeling like both God and his people had not only been profaned, but defeated. A note here, uh, one should always be careful with numbers in visions, dreams, and apocalyptic And we risk diminishing the value of them and completely missing the point by forcing them to be something that they were never intended to be. So we need to hold these loosely. And here we have an possibly an actual timeline of either 1,150 days or three and a half years, or 2,300 days, seven years, depending on how you're uh, defining that number and what Daniel is saying there, both of which could actually fit historical events that took place along those timelines. But the way in which the number was given suggests that even if the exact time frame doesn't hit, God is patiently waiting in the middle of the horrific tragedy taking place. He will act, and he will act decisively, justly, and powerfully. The time given for this final decisive action is described as the end of, or sorry, the time of the end, or the time of wrath. There's several different phrases in Hebrew. But our first impulse from our vantage point is to assume that this means the end of human history when God comes in final judgment and the renewal of all things. But for starters, that would not have answered Daniel's question of how long would the temple be out of commission? And secondly, these timing phrases have been used in two other prophetic books of the Bible to answer how long God was going to tolerate Israel's rebellion. In Amos, he refers to the end of time as the point when Assyria would destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. In Ezekiel, the time of the end was used to announce the sack of Jerusalem at the hands of Babylon. So it's very likely, given the context, the same thing is happening here in Daniel, it's no less prophetic, but we don't need to jump all the way from the Greek empire being described all the way to the end of recorded history. God was revealing that he would not allow the temple to be trampled and desecrated indefinitely. He would put a stop to it. Now, all apocalypses, revelations, uncoverings, revealings are meant to to peel back the curtain between what we can be physically seen and known and what is going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm and how God is interacting with life. This is dramatically mind-blowing, both in the scale of the evil and arrogance of humans and how it sows chaos and violence into people's lives, as well as how mind-bogglingly patient God is how much he tolerates and how ultimately powerful, wise, and just God is when he finally acts to intervene and judge humankind's rebellion. He does this repeatedly in every corner of the globe with every people group in every time period. We can also get so tied up in our lived experience of the world that we easily forget that the physical and spiritual worlds are way more closely tied and intermingling than we ever perceive. We forget that the kingdom of God being at hand means we can and do quite literally stick our hands into it without even knowing it. There's just such a thin veil. And that then leads to the implication that when believers hurt, heaven is also hurt. When we are crying out in misery, All of heaven is crying out in misery. When we are angry and frustrated with injustice, all heaven is on the edge of its chair, ready to spring into action. And so this passage wraps up with, Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up, performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and couldn't understand it. Now, the exact source of what troubled Daniel is pure speculation for everyone. Daniel just doesn't specify, but I want to wrap up by sharing where my mind and heart landed. I feel called to a deeper sense of longing for Jesus to return. My mind races to Romans 8 here, and this I'll quote it. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal apocalypse, who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. The ultimate enemies, by the way. when we were saved. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, fill us with an appropriate sense of grief that we need to take time to stop and mourn. Fill us with a longing for your return to make all things new and right and pure and good. Fill us with such a deep hunger for your kingdom coming in all its fullness that we are willing to fast and join our hunger to prayer in the here and now. And finally, fill us with your strength to get up and move forward with our lives and responsibilities, but overflowing with your strength, your compassion, and your power. I ask this knowing you want to give it, and I ask it in your name. Amen.